Hi, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Sustainable Futures, Designing Green Communities and Buildings, a living architecture-monitored podcast from Green Roofs for Healthy Cities. My name is Stephen Peck, and I am your host today, as well as the founder and president of Green Roofs for Healthy Cities, the industry association for green roofs and walls across North America. Today, I am in conversation with Ben Flanner, the co-founder of Brooklyn Grange Rooftop Farm and a presenter of the new Javits Center Rooftop Farm at Cities Alive in Philadelphia in October. Ben's early days gardening began at a young age alongside his mother in their Wisconsin backyard. After earning his Bachelor of Science in Industrial Engineering from the University of Wisconsin, Ben moved to New York City where he began a promising career in management consulting and financial marketing, notably at E-Trade Financial. But his desire to engage more with the community than numbers and more parts of his body than his brain drew him to the world of food and farming. He's a pioneer for his groundbreaking model, which adapts existing rooftop farming technology to intensively cultivated vegetables, beginning with the Eagle Street Rooftop Farm, a pilot project on a 6,000 square foot Brooklyn roof, which Ben co-founded in 2009. A year later, in 2010, Ben and his partner scaled up the model, and in 2010, he launched Brooklyn Grange, a commercial-scale urban farming business, eventually expanding to 2.5 acres spanning two roofs, and now, I believe, three. Ben directs all his agricultural endeavors on the farm. He brings his system optimization background to bear, making sure the business remains as fiscally sound as it is ecologically healthy. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ben. I know you're busy with the uh, fall harvest. Hey, Steve. Happy to be here. Great to have you. You know, urban farming is not easy, especially when you're pioneering. What really made you go into urban rooftop farming? It wasn't the delicious carrots, I take it. <laughs> Partly, to be honest. Um, uh, no, you kind of you kind of just said it too. Um, I I guess I, I consider myself lucky that. At a at a fairly young age, I, I was able to identify that that there were certain things that that both my my body and my brain and my soul needed, you know, to be moving around a bit more. And um, uh, I started visiting some organic farms and just like really fell in love with them. Um, they they just I could just tell it was like this sort of merge between my love of vegetables and and cooking, which which was at that point just more like kind of hobby, um, and then combined with all like the really massive problem solving and the engineering and all the, you know, how to move water and um, soil science and harvesting plants and setting up all these systems. So um, yeah, farming really just, it just took me and I decided that I should give it a go. Um, And at that point I was really enjoying living in the city. Um, I think I was about 20, 27, 28 as I was sort of at this pivot point. Um, I was really loving New York. So at the same time, it, it was kind of uh, a quagmire of, well, then I guess I'd have to leave. And, um, you know, my life would change quite a bit. Um, so then uh, the idea of rooftops uh, kind of kept on being in my brain. And, and eventually I was able to, to bring something to life. So you, it sounds like you have to be a real multitasker uh, to be a, a successful urban farmer. Yes, but, Farming in general is is uh, that the, the you wear so many different hats. You have to sell the food, you have to grow it, you have to take care of the plants, you have to set up systems on your farm, you have to interact with customers, 
And then on top of that, um, Brooklyn Grange is much more than than a farm now as we've evolved. So so there's even more hats that we wear on a regular day between between our business. So that's interesting. Um, tell me if you would just, just give me an overview of your operations. Like how many farms are you running right now? Um, have you achieved some economies of scale in terms of you know expanding? Sure. Where, where that. Sure. We've got three farms where we have leases. They total um, about five and a half acres of rooftop space in Brooklyn and Queens. On those farms, we grow close to 100,000 pounds of vegetables annually during the season. We have a little bit of greenhouse space as well where we grow through the winter. Um, We also host a huge variety of different types of events on our spaces. That's absolutely critical to our our model. Um, All different types of of workshops, education programs, open days, um, fitness classes, uh, all the way up to dinners and and weddings and and shoots and and whatnot. Um, We also maintain two other large farms for customers um, where where we operate farms uh, on roofs. Each one of those is is about an acre, acre plus. And we also maintain other gardens and we install green roofs and green spaces. So, so we, we have quite a bit going on at Brooklyn Grange. Wow, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Um, can you share with us any information about you know, your production mani- uh, methods, like the advantages and disadvantages of actually having a farm on top of a roof? What have you found over the last uh, decade or so? Sure. Um, our production is, has evolved quite a bit, to be honest. Um, at the at the beginning, our, our model uh, was was extremely dependent on restaurants, um, largely just because they were probably the most dependable form of demand, um, because you you can always sell that last uh, twenty pounds of arugula to a restaurant as long as you can find it and create that relationship. Um, we've already we've always been kind of um, diversified with with who we sell to. We we've always had a CSA and we've always done several farmers markets. As well, CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. We we use that uh, acronym almost like a, a word now um, in in our community, um, but it's the concept where people prepay for a bag or a box in the spring, and then they receive for about twenty five weeks out of the year uh, a weekly bag or box that they can come and pick up or or at a drop off point. Um, so early on, that was really really critical to our success. Um, really trying to look at the value of different crops because you're as a small diversified vegetable grower, you have opportunity to grow dozens, maybe 60 plus different types of crops all the way up to a hundred, if you can handle that complexity. And um, each crop takes a different amount of time and labor um, time in the ground. Um, it takes its different type of toll on the soil. And then of course it has different revenues um, or different amounts of sales value. So we used to really put a lot of effort into maximizing that. We, we still do. However, over time, um, especially it was accelerated during the pandemic, um, we stopped selling as much to restaurants. So we've actually shifted. Uh, and um, about we, our CSA is quite a, are quite a bit larger um, where we have the, the, the pickups. And then we actually donate about 40%, 40, even 45% of our volume to food pantries and um, some local nonprofit organizations. So um, with that food to, that gets donated, um, it's 
been a little bit of a shift for us. So we're not necessarily optimizing like the, the highest yield crops, like the salad mixes and the arugulas, um, like we used to sell to the restaurants. Um, we've more shifted towards a little bit more towards foods that, that can fill, fill bellies, you know, in our, in our community and that we can do um, really large volume and high number of units, sometimes even approaching a thousand units per week of say radishes, kohlrabi, different cabbages, um, potatoes, different types of greens, cooking greens and Asian greens and whatnot, tomatoes, of course. Um, the list goes on. We, there's turnips, carrots, um, everything basically that, that we grow. Still a lot of peppers and whatnot. Um, also related to the farming practices, um, we've also been really trying to take care of the soil. And, and we have since the beginning as well. We've always been, you know, heavily composting and um, using lots of mulches, we we pick up um, chocolate husk from a local chocolate supplier, and we use that as a nutrient amendment and a mulch, um, keeping sort of like a full circle system on our um, waste system here in the city. Um, but we're also really trying to reduce the tillage and and paying attention to some of the um, ideas towards preserving the the microbiome of the soil and all the microorganisms, and really just uh, reducing disturbances. Um, so that's led to some significant shifts in our farming practices as well. And we'll, we'll continue to in the next few years. Yeah, it seems that um, the, the microorganisms and the health of the soil is really dependent on the existem, existence of a healthy biome, if you will, within the soil. Has that been your experience when you start off with maybe more um, biologically dead or neutral growing medium mixes? And then, you know, you gravitated towards a more living type of living growing medium. Have you found that's increased production significantly? Has it been a bonus? Well, yeah, um, it's, it's, uh, that's a whole other podcast to be honest, to, to go into that. But um, yeah, we're, we're all studying it and learning it and, um, and observing, of course, being on a roof, we have already a simulated situation. Um, I like to think that when we start out with soil, it actually is pretty biologically active, or at least that's what the the, the composters and the soil suppliers would, would would love for us to agree with. And, and I do, um, although I'm sure it's different types and different types of um, connections of, you know, we might not have chains of mycorrhizome because it just got through the, you know, went through the blower truck or whatnot. Um, yeah, but all that right. stuff starts to evolve um, in the in the space, and and yeah, uh, we're we're also trying to develop more um, like perennial borders and more kind of uh, you, you know places where we're not just growing annual vegetables, um, which which take a, a turn and a cycle every single season, um, and and it's been really fun to observe the the way the exact same soil behaves um, depending on how it's how it's treated and what's grown there. Um, other crops, like at the Javits Center, we've been introducing more perennial berries. Um, they don't have as strong of a business, classic business plan behind them, but um, strawberries and, and raspberries and gooseberries and, and um, currants, things like that. And, uh, you know, that is definitely gentle around the soil and it develops a, a different type of biodiversity as well. So um, we're excited to be kind of uh, expanding our um, our, our variety of farming. So the Javits Center is one of the farms, I think you mentioned earlier that you're managed, you help design and you're managing. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Javits Center? Sure. Um, the Javits Center launched last fall 
and we just were able to start a little bit of food in it um, quickly before the season ended. And this is our first complete season. It's a one acre vegetable plot. Um, the, the Javits Center expanded to the north of where it was in, in Manhattan, in New York City. Uh, through the last few years, they were under construction and there's a new um, plat new platform area with a giant pavilion. Um, and we have one acre of vegetables in an in a annual vegetable farm with some of those other perennials that I was mentioning. And then on the west side, facing the the river, where with the overview of of New Jersey, um, close to the other famous uh, Javits green roof with the sedum green roof, um, we've installed an orchard and a fruit for a food forest. So we have about um, forty five different fruit trees, and then a whole understory, um, and then tons of different um, food food bearing perennials uh, down below and in between all the trees. That sounds fantastic. Is that yeah farm um accessible to people as well um the javits center hosts weekly tours that are open to the public and then it's also um highly interacted with uh, between different events and things happening at the javits center interesting um, and i think i read something about um something innovative about water management uh at the javits center can you can you expand a little bit about that Yes, you did indeed. Um, it's it's an exciting project for another reason also, which is that um, they had the foresight to design a massive uh, water cistern, water catchment cistern in the in the basement of the expansion. So it's like a, a giant concrete bunker almost through the basement, and it is close to the river too. So it probably makes sense for numerous different reasons, um, with you know potential water rise and everything, and. Um, Dozens of different roof drains on the expansion, all funnel, including our farm drains, the drains you know below our, our soil and our agriculture. They all funnel together and send all stormwater into that uh, cistern, so it can hold up to three hundred forty or so thousand or four hundred or so hundred thousand gallons, um, and then it would divert back into the sewage system. But but that's quite a large number. And then we can actually use that water for our outdoor irrigation, which is extremely exciting because it's the first, that's something that we've always kind of just wanted to do <laughs> since day one, but we never had the, the resources or the engineering or the space available to make large water capture. Um, and also if there is, um, you know, any challenge, environmental challenge with growing vegetables on roof, it, admittedly, it's it's with potential leachate from, you know, lots of uh, compost and whatnot. These are the same challenges that are faced with all types of agriculture. So it's it's not necessarily like worse on a roof by any means, but it allows us to also capture and most likely reuse some of those leachates that go down um, through those drains as well, which is also super exciting. Really almost like compost tea or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, there's dissolved nutrients in it for for, for sure. Um, I, I don't think a lot, but it just still feels really good to be um, using that. And then so we um, use... that's, that's interesting. I mean, so there's amenity space up there. Um, you're using uh, uh, reducing potable water use or eliminating it through the use of water, rainwater capture. Um, are there any other things you would say you must have designed from a design perspective? Let's say if you were designing. Uh, a retrofitting a green roof. What would you say were the sort of top five things you got to have? You know, or for agriculture. Um, 
Yeah, well, it, it's going to depend on the type of agriculture that, that we're performing, to, to be honest. Um, with the new local law 9294 in New York City, that's that's a new law that, that mandates that new construction has either solar or green roof on it, at least in some proportion. So we're receiving a, a lot of inquiries. It's it's definitely starting to to take hold. I, I think we can go further for sure on the legislative end locally, but um, it's it's a start. And um, you know, it's 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 a process. You have to really understand a customer or a client or whoever you're speaking with to understand what are their goals um, and their their resources to farm. So um, if if one is looking to set up a you know many thousand square foot or half acre or something um, vegetable farm, there's quite a lot that's needed that you need uh, um, a freight elevator that gets up to the roof. You need, of course, the basic amenities like electricity and plumbing. You need some um, protection from the elements, some shade structure, a washing and pack station, some sinks, um, a walk-in refrigerator, um, carts, bins, all, all sorts of stuff. There's actually quite a lot of uh, logistics. However, um, call it a farm, a garden, uh, small food producing um, location. You know, there's there's multiple terms to use for it. But if the goal is to have um, some sort of a combination of an amenity plus some vegetable garden, um, where there could be some, you know some some pollinator species perennials, um, you know, more, more stable, like microbiome types of uh, plants, and then an area with some food production, um, then you don't need as much of that sort of uh, all those physical amenities. And, and you can kind of create a little bit more like a backyard garden. Um, so that's, to be honest, the, the direction that we steer um, some of our incoming inquiries um, after speaking with them and getting a little better understanding of what their needs and constraints are. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take a short break. Uh, I've got uh, Ben Flanner here, a pioneering urban rooftop farmer um, who's uh, sharing some of his uh, trade secrets. And we'll be back in just a minute. Cities Alive is a multidisciplinary conference bringing together the best designers, product manufacturers, researchers, and policymakers in the field of living architecture and green infrastructure. Cities Alive Philadelphia is less than a month away, taking place from October 16th to 19th at the Doubletree Hilton, Philadelphia Center City, but there's still time to secure your spot. The theme of this year's conference is green infrastructure and water in a changing climate, exploring the many ways that green infrastructure can help clean our waterways and improve our communities in the face of climate change. Learn from our many expert presenters, explore new products on the trade show floor, and enhance your professional skills through our training courses and workshops. Also, be sure to sign up soon for our exclusive networking cruise on the Delaware River, because space is limited and going fast. There's something for everyone at Cities Alive, so register today at citiesalive.org, and we'll see you in Philly. Welcome back. And with me today is uh, pioneering urban rooftop farmer Ben Flanner, who's just been explaining to us some of the some of the details around how he uh, operates and has designed multiple rooftop farms in New York City. Um, ben, I, you know, it was we've all been through a, a tough patch here. And I know in particular, COVID and the whole pandemic was hard on you. How did you manage to uh, 
rise above and keep the keep the uh, the food flowing during COVID. Yeah, COVID was was really tough. Um, we we just mentioned the the sort of different areas of our business. So of course the events was was completely shut down, um, and and the the team running events, um, you know, they they had to be constantly rescheduling and guessing when the the lockdown would end as as well as therapists for all their of our customers um <laughs> going through this challenge trying to figure out when they're going to get married and whatnot so that was extremely difficult and also of course that revenue um went from sizable to to zero basically um at the same time with our our farming uh all the restaurants shut down and at that time restaurants were about 65% of our sales um all the microgreens production stopped, of course, and and you know no, nobody was even writing checks. You know, if you were owed money, it was like, well, we're not going to get that at least not tomorrow. You know, um, so we had a lot of different quick discussions, and and if you recall, that was uh, at least in the U.S. when when we shut down, it was about March fifteenth, March sixteenth, which is when we are doing all of our critical. Well, most of our crops are planned, but there's still time to pivot. But we're starting things in the greenhouse. We're starting our kales and our lettuces and all of our herbs. And within weeks, we're starting our tomatoes and peppers and everything. Um, so we spoke with with the managers at, at the at, at each farm and um, you know checked in with folks. And ultimately, what they decided was, hey, that this is this is exactly the type of thing that we we can and and want to continue doing. Um, you know, looking back on it, I think it was probably one of the best jobs possible in the city. You got to get to work somehow. Maybe you can bike, hopefully. And then um, uh, then you got an acre of open space and you're producing food. And that's exactly what we needed. And, um, you know, we can speak about societal health and whatnot, too. But growing or eating, um, you know, unprocessed, healthy food is is incredibly beneficial for the immune system, too. So, at multiple layers, um, it felt like we were doing something good. So we tripled our um, CSA, the the prepaid uh, weekly bag and box program. The restaurants were 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 gone to about zero, but they started to creep back a little bit. Um, we started selling our microgreens to a um, online grocery store, and um, farmers markets, of of course, also were were doing great because people were really. Uh, coming out in strong numbers to the farmer's market, which which makes sense, of course, because people were eating at home and you could go in an open air environment to to do that shopping. So it was tough. You know, it, it was everything. It was reduced salaries. Um, it was some layoffs, uh, all the different challenging decisions, lots of meetings to model out where our cash flow was going to be, how long would it last, all that stuff. Um I will say that the the PPP program was was really helpful for us too. It it basically, despite some what's the word, <laughs> despite some um, criticisms, critiques about it through the through, what's a PPP? PPP. Oh, PPP was um, the Paycheck wow. Protection Program. Right. It was the government program um, to pay businesses uh, a percentage of their uh, labor costs in oh, order okay. to help them get okay. through yeah. through COVID. Right. Um, but we got some of that uh, loan money and it, and it did exactly what it was meant to. It, it helped us to keep up with payroll. Oh, good. Good. So your CSA, the community, you know, stepped up to support you guys in a difficult time then. Like you really had a you have strong connections, obviously, to the community. 
Yes, big time. We sent the email and and um, people really did really did sign up. And it, and it was it, you're right. It was not just um, their desire for fresh vegetables. It was also a desire to support a community business that 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 you know we, people had respect for and relationships with with us and, and some history and whatnot and people really did come out it was it was actually quite quite uh, special the way the CSA uh, signups filled in so fast you know that uh, that's really interesting and it kind of brings me to my next question about the social benefits of rooftop farming I've been on your a uh, couple of your farms and they're really magical places to hang out and we've had some functions up there so there's sort of that component you know weddings and stuff but how would you characterize um you know the major i mean you're a green obviously a green job provider um do you think that uh, you've kind of fully exploited the social benefits that are possible from urban rooftop farming um, the, yeah, there's tons of benefits, uh, uh, of, of farming and, and of, of urban farming, um, to the community. And, and we, we, we get a fraction of them. Um, there's, there's more we can do. There's also lots of things we're really proud of. Um, there's thousands of children that visit our farm each year, um, via our open days on Sundays and also via city growers, which is a nonprofit organization that we share the space with. So City Growers handles all things related to children 18 years old and under. They also host classroom work and they do after school programs and a kids camp and all sorts of education around the food system and eating and vegetables. And, um, you know, at, at just a super simple level, getting kids out of the classroom into a fun field trip, they feel really good on the roof and they love learning about worms and compost and we have some chickens that they interact with and they can pull some food out of the ground and see how it grows. And, and um, uh, that's, that's huge benefits to our society. Um, uh, it, it's really important to us that, that our society eats well and um, uh, there's yeah, great value in that. Um, one other thing that we've uh, launched in the last two years was a sliding scale CSA, which we're, we're pretty, um, proud of it's it's a concept where um, when you're checking out for that that CSA um, which is the community supported agriculture the weekly bagger box which we've spoken about um, there's an income calculator and it compares with the uh, economic forums um, livable wage calculator for uh, depending on your household size living in New York City on what it takes to to basically uh, be at what, what they consider a livable wage, which is significantly higher than minimum wage. Um, and then if one ends up with a household income, that's a certain percentage above that livable wage. Uh, we actually ask people to contribute, uh, some extra, uh, cost to their CSA, um, in some proportion to that in order that that can then go towards, um, supplementing for some, someone that is, you know, a certain percentage below that livable wage. And um, it's almost like a little bit of a, a nutrient wealth transfer, which which we can help to facilitate in a, just a tiny, tiny way. Um, but uh, it's it's good. It, it gets the community thinking about each other. And it also can help to put this healthy food into the hands of some people that maybe would have a hard time affording it otherwise. And that's one of the big challenges that we've had even since day one and that other small farmers have is that 
you know, we get out here and we really want to feed our community and grow this great healthy food. And we, we know how important it is. It's, it's medicine compared with the, the processed and the cheap foods and what's available and being, being, uh, consumed by, by, by a lot of people. Um, however, it, it often has a price premium. And we do believe that that good, healthy food and, and high nutrient should be a, a basic human right. That is really, really cool. It must be fantastic to uh, see the faces of children that have never been to a farm, you know, come up on your rooftop farm and chase the chickens around and uh, check out worms. That must be just fantastic to experience that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, yeah. And, and I like to think that we also, um, we uh we we can create excitement and um inspiration to different people that come up and that one's a little less tangible but who who knows where they go with it you know i want to do something on my roof or i'm going to start a vegetable garden and whatnot so it's all kind of like smaller incremental things but who knows what what we can also help you know because everybody stands on uh the shoulders of, of people that have ideas before them so so uh that's also another kind of thing that that I, I think about and wonder about, you know, where, what, what type of impact do we have? It's like casting urban ag seeds to the wind. Yeah. All right. See what and might, folks have come from all over the world to, to see our space too. And so, so who knows what ideas they've, they've taken back home. Mm -hmm. We'll never know for sure, but something. Well, in addition to the, the social benefits that stem and you did a great job articulating those, um, that come from rooftop farming. Um, what about the environmental benefits? You know, a lot of people uh, or some people get hung up on, you know, uh, nutrient loading as a negative potentially. Um, but what, what is your sense of, um, of the overall sort of environmental, the footprint or the, if you had to say what the major environmental benefits from your operations are, how would you characterize those? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the the key, the sort of the, the first ones that really come to mind are are probably fairly overlapping with the with the green roof industry, mm -hmm. which some of the people on the podcast probably are already pretty familiar with. Mm -hmm. We're creating we're creating biodiversity and um, habitat for for birds and insects and soil organisms and whatnot on on these roofs. Um, the green roof, of, of course, provides the same insulation to the building, which which is going to mitigate some of the energy that it takes for for heating and cooling. Um, green roofs have a mitigation effect on the urban heat island effect. Um, in addition, uh, of course, local food is is positive in many ways. It's it's healthy. It's it's not processed. It's also not subsidized. It's it's not based on monocultures and, and chemical farming, which is, you know, damaging our, our soil and our, our waterways and whatnot. And of course, it has a, a much smaller carbon footprint, at least in its last mile uh, or in its uh, total total transportation distance. Um, I also think it's it's sort of environmental and social, but I, I think it's just so critical to be interacting with your local and regional economy. Um, when people go out to buy something for, for their food, um, I think it's really invaluable to know that that dollar is going to circulate somewhere within your community rather than to just disappear, um, you know, across the world. Um, and um, yeah, and then and then public health, we're, we're doing, you know, we're, we're a tiny bit of it. We're, of course, rooftop farming is never going to be a, 
a, a massive component of the, the food that's grown, but if it can inspire people and have some effect on, on health and, and diets, um, that's, that's huge to me. Um, the average life expectancy in the U.S. has actually been dropping for a few years now, mm-hmm. um, especially since COVID. That's a, that's a factor, but it was nearly up to 80. And it's now I just saw some information. It's down to 76.1 years. It's, so it's actually dropping. And if you think about that, with all of our steady medical advancements, um, it's definitely counterintuitive. And, and uh, we and I believe that, that the food we eat and what's going into our bodies is a massive, massive uh, component of that Mm -hmm. so this is not just our food but it's food like ours and it's and it's and it's food that can be grown in other regional economies uh, all different types of ways but by farmers like us not the not the massive subsidized monocultures uh, across our country and i think that has a really critical uh, component to our to our health system which which all is related to our environment as well yeah, the processed uh, food that is consumed is contributing to you know childhood obesity and increasing rates of obesity over the last couple of decades. We've seen those numbers climb pretty pretty significantly. Yeah, sugars and and corn syrup based sweeteners, and um, you know, and all the chemicals that go into to raising our our uh, inexpensive meats. So uh, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with uh, Ben Flanner, the co-founder of uh, the Brooklyn Grange Rooftop Farm. Explore a little bit more about the future of rooftop farming and uh, Ben's thoughts on that issue. Stay with us. The Living Architecture Academy is an online learning platform dedicated to bringing you the best training courses, conference recordings, and more on green infrastructure, low impact development, and sustainable design practices. For over 15 years, Green Roofs for Healthy Cities has provided professional development opportunities to over 15,000 green infrastructure industry professionals from around the world. Learn all about integrated water management with our Net Zero Water for Buildings and Sites course, or begin earning your Green Roof professional accreditation, all from the comfort of your home. All courses on the Living Architecture Academy are offered on demand, do not expire, and are approved for AIA, ASLA, and GRP continuing education. So you can learn at your own pace, on your own schedule, and earn CEUs. Visit livingarchitectureacademy.com and start your professional development today. So we're back with Ben Flanner, the co-founder of the Brooklyn Grange Rooftop Farm and several other rooftop farms uh, in New York City. Um, we've been talking about the, the environmental, social health benefits of rooftop farming. Um, I'm just wondering if we could zero in a little bit on your thoughts, uh, Ben, with respect to climate change. You know, we've had so much crazy stuff going on this year. Hottest temperature again, uh, you know, unbelievably intense uh, temperatures in Southern California, huge rainfall, fires, you know, it's becoming uh, the norm. What do you think uh, rooftop farming and other forms of urban agriculture, not just rooftop farming, can they prepare us for the impacts of climate change, do you think? Um, yeah, I think I think the, the also maybe taking it even more macro to, to green infrastructure, I think it's absolutely critical. Um, I think it's it's critical for helping us to deal with these rainstorms um it's it's a fact uh 
the, the, the severity and the speed and the velocity at which rain is coming down in some of these examples is, is huge and it's unprecedented. And it's like, it's forcing us to shift the way we, we view everything. At the same time, we also do need to take care to, um, to create proper drainage and maybe even do, do new evaluations of, of those systems to get ready for those hurricanes and, and deluges that come through. Um, but it's critical for those those variables of of re reducing our our carbon needs and, and making our cities more livable because our cities will will continue to be super critical. Um, we do face challenges, of, of course, also um, number of days above 90 degrees is is been higher than historical. Um, the plants can generally handle it as long as we keep them irrigated well, but, but it takes a toll on, on our, on our crew and our team and, um, being out there in the sun. Um, also it can be very windy, especially in the spring, um, at times, which, which can cause some challenges. Um, yes, there's lots of things. How, uh, what do you think, uh, the, the greatest contribution of urban ag might be to uh, increasing our resilience? Is it, is it stormwater management, reducing the urban heat island, or is it something like food security, for example? I think it's related to the food. Um, food security is, is important. It's also challenging to kind of draw that line across the entire city of 8 million people, um, as much as 5.6 acres is. Um, but if it can be scaled up and make if it, it's kind of like falls in that line of the inspiration as well as the practical, you know, we can go from five to a hundred acres through different projects that, that we help with and through different growth of the industry, then we're starting to really get a bigger dent on our food, but we can also be part of this movement of the regional economy and we're just a component of it, but we're continuing to inspire and create that awareness on both the customer end and on the farmer end to connect those dots and um that so it's it's basically it's more than just us is what i'm trying to say but we are a component of creating um much more resilient um agricultural economies and that's that's definitely a huge focus of of the the local and small farming and, and real organic movement so that Food resiliency, if you're talking about a city of 8 million, isn't something that, you know, Brooklyn Grange is going to be prov providing. But uh, if you look at regional agriculture um, or peri-urban agriculture combined with urban agriculture, then we can maybe head in that direction. Is, is that kind of what you're thinking? Exactly. Yeah, we, we can. We, we, we can and, and should be heading in that direction. And that also involves decentralizing the the subsidies food, the, the food that that is all massively concentrated from, you know, from the corn and the soy and the and the subsidized chem chemically farmed uh, grains that go into feeding the, the animals, which are then um, concentrated into certain slaughterhouses and, and feedlots and then distributed across the, the country. Um, so that's another component of it that that we're trying to help to to get away from. And um, yeah, exactly what you said. It's it's not no no single entity will will solve that problem, but being part of it and contributing and, and collaborating um, and inspiring, I, I think is 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 huge. If people can understand that vision, 
and training hopefully the next generation of uh, of uh, farmers as well. It sounds like, right? Yeah, yeah. We've we've had a lot of people through the years that have gone on to to work at at um, at, at great and inspirational projects themselves, both rural and urban, across across the country and the world too. Nice. So, what do you think the future holds for rooftop farming? Um, are you are you feeling bullish about it? Do you see sort of major expansion in the future, not just for Brooklyn Grange, but generally, or is this sort of a niche thing that's going to come and go? It's kind of fad like, oh, well, I got my carrots from a rooftop, you know, ooh, you know, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you, what's your, what's your gut telling you about all that? Um, well, we're seeing a, a really high, I, I think some of it relates to the local law 9294 that I spoke about earlier, but we're seeing a really high amount of demand for, plants and food in um, new construction. I, I think the, the we've definitely hit a bit of a tipping point, um, at least around here um, and other parts of the country, to be honest. We're receiving a lot of inquiries from, from different cities as well, um, where people are doing developments and they want to have food growing on their space. And that can be, you know, it's typically going to be a roof because that's where the best sun is, but there's some other uh, creative ways to, to incorporate that as well. Um, so that, that's exciting. And that that's kind of like a, it's almost, you could almost think of it as like a, a garden movement, you know, like if that inspiration takes the same direction, that could be in peri-urban regions too, happening at ground level. Um, it's really exciting to see plants being incorporated into building design in, in a little bit more enthusiastic ways than we've been seeing over the last decade since we started doing this. Um, it's great to see people learning how to grow food. And then similarly, all these benefits that the co-benefits I've been speaking about also with how does that affect uh, personal decisions? How does it affect kids and decisions that they'll make for the entirety of their life on how, you know, what 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 they put in their bodies and, and how they think about the connection of food to the environment as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of exciting and really important reasons to to be doing this hard work. Sounds like there's going to be a lot of growth in uh, in inter- building integrated uh, agriculture in the years to come. I think so. There's, of course, technologies. Um, there's indoor farming, which is not something that, that we're doing. Um, but I, I like the fact that that's decentralizing a lot of the harmful agriculture as well. It's it's. Uh, it has its own challenges with electricity and energy use and whatnot. However, it is a lot closer to the source, and it's also contributing less to to uh, you know water runoff that goes into polluting lakes and rivers and streams and and the corresponding um, natural habitat or you know the animals and the habitat in those in those waterways. Um, there's some exciting things going on with with indoor mushroom growing um, around cities. Uh, expanding um there's there's lots of things going on around food and and there's there's definitely a lot more to come and even uh, crickets i believe too uh will be more a bigger part of crickets. our future. crickets yeah what happened to those like everybody's talking about how they were the next uh, protein they were going to be in all our granola bars and sprinkle them in smoothies and stuff but yeah, I, I don't I think they, they might have escaped they might have got out somehow i don't know uh, a taco here and there yeah with some citric <laughs> acid yeah, man. 
so many bad jokes. I had some crickets in a little cup uh, when they, a couple years ago. When we ordered some crickets. They gave us some dried crickets in a little cup, and they were far less than appetizing. You know, I think when you, if you grind them into a powder, they might be there might be greater public acceptance. You know, than, I think they might be more practical than appetizing, but I'm okay with that too. Yeah, we, we do need proteins though, right? Uh, if we're gonna feed cities and urban ag is going to make more of a contribution then proteins need to be a bigger part. I think of the, of the equation. No. Yes. Yes. Of, of definitely proteins that, that require less energy and, and, and harm to animals for sure. Mm-hmm. And no matter how you try or how excited kids get, it's hard to get them to eat raw broccoli. Don't you think? <laughs> Depends on how you cook it. <laughs> raw broccoli. I said raw. <laughs> yeah, raw, raw. Sorry. Raw broccoli. Yeah. Yeah. It is tough. It is tough. Carrots are easier sell for sure. Yeah, yeah. Apples. Yeah. Strawberries. Oh, for sure, for sure. I can see those going fast. Ben, any final uh, words uh, for uh, our community out there before we uh, say thank you very much for your time and for joining us at Cities Alive in Philadelphia, October sixteenth to the nineteenth. Uh, we're very excited about that and having you come and share more information about the Javits Farm with some of your colleagues. Have you got any final words for us? Uh, no final words, just a big thank you. It was it was great to do this podcast, and I'm really looking forward to getting out there in October. I haven't seen the the uh, Cities Alive crew in, in many years, and, and looking forward to, to seeing some other like-minded people in the industry. It's always pretty energizing. It certainly is energizing when we get together. And thanks a lot, Ben. Uh, keep up the great work. You are a, a true pioneer in what you're doing, and we look forward to Uh, working with you for many, many, many moons to come, my friend. Thanks, Steve. Really appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Bye. So that was Ben Flanner, the the, uh, um, co-founder of Brooklyn Grange, which is uh, one of the first major uh, rooftop urban farms in New York City. He runs five of them now and uh, is continuing to uh, pioneer in terms of a whole bunch of different uh, different ways, and including helping um, people that are less uh, uh, fortunate have access to community-supported agriculture through an innovative program, um, and just a, a tremendous uh, amount of great things that he and his team are doing in New York. So thank you very much for tuning in, uh, and we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. 